book of Ephesians. I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. Ephesians 5, 3 through 14. Last week, um, we closed with just the beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, which tell us to follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. Last week, we ended there. And today, in Ephesians 5, 3 through 14, um, we kind of run into what I would call the counterbalance to if last week was, here's what you should do and be and, and be like in the uh, company of catchphrases that Pastor Audrey preached on. This week, we kind of get the counterbalance of, here's what not to do. Here's what to be cautious of. Here's what to be aware of. If we are to emulate Christ, then here is what to not be. And so as we turn to Ephesians 5, 13 through 14, um, hold on to that singular vision that we have of loving God and loving neighbor. And if we are to be faithful, we keep ourselves from that which prevents us from loving God and loving neighbor with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But before we read God's word together, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. Jesus, you are the way and the truth and the life. May in your word, may you show us your ways. May you speak your truth into our hearts. And may you be our source of life. And may your goodness be the goal of our life. Through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to us clearly that we may know and follow the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 14. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, what kind of pancake are you? 
interesting title, but you're just going to have to follow me for a little while on this one and probably end up being a little bit hungry for brunch by the time we're all over with. What kind of pancake are you? And I, I don't mean, despite our culinary creativity, I don't mean, you know, blueberry or chocolate chip pancake. What I mean by this pancake analogy is this. If your life and your life before God was a pancake, what vision do you have for it? Would it be to uh, be burnt on the bottom and doughy on the top? Or would it be a vision of being perfectly golden brown on both sides, a delight to serve, something that you would rejoice and would be glad and proud to serve even the most honored guests? What kind of pancake are you? Or what kind of pancake would you want to serve to those around you? Would you want to have honored guests over and serve them pancakes that are doughy on top, that they have been completely uncooked, untouched by heat? Hopefully not. Where we come to in Ephesians is a matter of full faithfulness throughout our lives. Because as we read the scriptures, we, we probably operate with this assumption, hopefully we do, that, that scripture has something to speak to us holistically, meaning to every area of our lives. It is not one-dimensional and flat. And so just as a pancake has to be flipped to be consistent so that it is cooked beautifully all the way through, not crisped on one side and doughy on the other, so it is that every area of our lives needs to sit with God's grace, lest we be an uncooked pancake in parts of our lives. So, I want you to get that image in your head of the perfect pancake, the one that you would delight most in. Dairy, wheat, and gluten-free, if you please, if that is a, a good requirement for you. But nonetheless, imagine the perfect breakfast food, and also imagine what can go wrong. What could go wrong? Charles Spurgeon, um, a, a great and classic preacher, talks about um, a pancake unflipped, which it's from Spurgeon that I borrow some of this this morning. When writing about Hosea chapter 7, Spurgeon says this, there mustn't be the appearance of holiness in one place and reigning sin in another, or else you too will be a pancake not turned over. Charles Spurgeon from the June 23rd morning prayer to not be turned over, to not be fully immersed in God's grace. And, and as heat and light go together, and the end of our passage today talks about light, let's think about God's grace as the matter of heat that cooks a pancake, that it should be cooked on both sides, that there's not a front on one side that looks good and something that is garbage on the other. Among you, the Apostle Paul writes, there must not be even a hint, not even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. We'll come back to how those three things go together in an interesting way. But, but for now, focusing on, we've talked about this life in Christ of sitting with God's grace, of being shaped and formed by God's Holy Spirit to be faithful people or faithful instead of fickle flapjacks if you keep the pancake analogy going, pious and not perverted pancakes. But as we come to this, not even a hint. It may sound like Paul, 
has lapsed back into being a Pharisee, that he has set some sort of impossibly high standard, not even a hint of any of these things. Well, he's right. And he doesn't mean that we will be perfect every time, but the vision of what we are to be is that of following Christ as perfectly, as faithfully as possible, as our ultimate goal. Put differently, you would taste very quickly if there was even a hint of uncooked pancake in something that you were eating. And if you were serving it, your guests, whether they be so polite as to say it or not, would taste that even a hint of uncooked batter in the pancake that they are having. Or, even if there is just a hint of burnt, cooked too long, overzealous in one area, perhaps leaving others unattended to, you would taste it, even if there were a hint of it, because the smallest of imperfections will be noticeable. And this is where we pick up this counterbalance in Ephesians 5, that, that among us, among God's people, whether it be in Ephesus 2,000 years ago or in North Holland today, these are the things that if we are faithfully following Christ, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. And why? Not even a hint? Because it's so noticeable, because we serve a holy God. And so even a small hint of unholiness is noticeable, even a hint. And so it starts with these three, sexual immorality, which is left somewhat broad. There's other places in the New Testament where we get more specific lists. This is the broad brushstroke of, of any kind of sexual immorality, any kind of satisfaction or lust that you find that is, is not blessed by God. Or any kind of impurity, once again, often also left pretty open to interpretation, left broadly, any kind of impurity. Because we're not going to get too specific to create a loophole. Well, I'm not doing that, so it's okay. Any kind of these things, or of greed. Isn't it interesting that we go from sexual immorality to impurity to greed? And this goes back once again to some classical teaching within the church that, that lust and greed, lust that accompanies sexual immorality and impurity and greed are the two appetites. They are the sins of hunger. They are the sins of, of longing for that which could be good but instead is not. Our unsatisfied appetites, the ones that, that draw us off course of what God intends for us. Any hint of this is not accepted. And it could be the immorality or the impurity or the greed, meaning my desire, my hunger, is for something other than for God and God's goodness. My appetite and my longing is to be satisfied outside of God's will, outside of God's presence. And although Paul's words are strict and, and specific in the fact that there shouldn't even be a hint of these things, it might sound kind of harsh, but also part of this is a matter of care and love and concern. Because going off of the path will not bring goodness, it will bring hardship, it will yield pain. And so even this word, to not even have a hint of immorality or impurity or greed, is an act of care. 
May your longing first be for God's fellowship and presence. May your purity be based not on purity culture as constructed by people, but may your purity be that of having a pure relationship with your Savior. And may your greed, may your longing, may, may what you want to acquire the most of, may it not be possessions or popularity, but may it be God's presence in our life. These are where we find satisfaction. If we're looking to hide a little bit of any of these things, we will ultimately be a pancake that is partially uncooked in one area, and it will be oh so noticeable. Anna's house did not sponsor today's sermon. Besides, their omelets are better than their pancakes. But continuing on, nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, meaning out of place, noticeable, not good, but rather thanksgiving. Now, this isn't necessarily a ban on all four-letter words. But consider again, what is the content and direction of our speech? How is it that we speak to others and of others? It might be the occasional expletive when you, you know, do something that injures you. That's different than what we're actually after here. What we're after here is going back to the beginning of chapter 5, walking in this way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, when we think about the first the three lists of, Im, of Im, immorality, impurity, greed, and now we get to obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking, the question is this, of what you do and say, is it for you or for your neighbor? Who benefits from the words that you speak? Do we sometimes gain popularity by jumping on the bandwagon of, of ragging on someone who's maybe not in the room? Or is it occasionally to our advantage and benefit to take a shot at someone who is in the room with us? Now, there is a difference of friends gathering together and I think teasing and bantering with one another in a spirit of love and, in fact, full respect to those around us. But there are times where our obscenities or coarse joking can be foolish and bring about nothing good, but rather contribute to the ill of our neighbor or does it shape our reputation? How do people talk? Do you know them by their speech? And are there those who just have a knack for turning the conversation negative? Is there someone that, and maybe it could be you, where you realize that when it's your turn to contribute to a conversation, it turns cynical? Or put in a more modern term, someone whose mind is in the gutter, that no matter what's being talked about, there is some opportunity for innuendo or just to make something sexual where it need not be. This is a versatile mind that is not creative in holy ways, but rather in unholy ways. We can turn the conversation however we wish. And how do we do it? Is it to the benefit of our neighbor? Now, I don't think this means that we walk around with no sense of humor. I think God delights in our joy and our humor. God gave us our minds to be creative and thoughtful and inventive, but in the right ways. In the same way that sex is a good gift that can be abused, our humor is a good gift that can be abused. Our words can be used to build up or tear down. Our words can be used to affirm and bless or to chide and abuse. 
these things are simply out of place. And the vision here, once again, is that all of our life, both sides of us, whether it be who we are in public or in private, that we are consistent, that we have sat with God's grace, and that it has changed us. As heat applied to raw batter or dough cooks it, so our lives should be as exposed to God's grace for a prolonged period of time. It should change us, and it should change us through and through on both sides, so that there's not the appearance of holiness on one side and reigning sin on another. Going back to Paul's words, these things would simply be out of place. There shouldn't be a hint of them. You can't say, well, I am a pretty good person. I'm just having one affair on the side. That's not how this works. That, that wouldn't be what we would say is our highest upstanding model. You cannot be fully immersed in God's grace, a pancake flipped on both sides and hold on to some of that uncooked, raw batter. For one, it's noticeable, and it is not good. But we can also get too focused, too tunnel-visioned, a little bit too narrow-minded and dogmatic. Spurgeon goes on in his analogy of pancakes to talk about those who get fixated on one aspect of the faith, and they become like a burnt pancake because it's the only thing that they can focus on and they leave other areas of our life unattended. And of course, in the modern church, this is the thing that we must guard ourselves most because our reputation is something that is most easily skewered. And of course, the word that skewers the reputation of the church is hypocrisy. The upstanding citizen in a town who spoke so much of generosity and philanthropy and was just the perfect picture of who every business leader should be. And then it was found out that there was a lot of sexual immorality being hidden underneath. Real story, example, unfortunate and tragic. Or perhaps the one who finds himself on Sunday morning, Bible open, as kind as can be, as eager as anyone would appear to be to be in church, and is an abusive spouse at home, verbally and physically. Once again, also a tragic and true story. You can come up with your own burnt pancake analogies of someone who rails on one area of the faith and their life is not consistent in God's grace. In fact, probably the times when we become burnt pancakes on one side is we found something that we can be good at, something we can handle, and it becomes our focus and we don't worry about the other stuff almost as a countermeasure to make sure that we can at least look good doing the thing that we do and not worry so much about the rest of it. Those who come down hard on others because they've got some uncooked areas of their own pancake life, and it's easier to project on someone else than it is to own our own faults. Like a pancake burnt on one side and doughy on the other, we cannot hide our sin before a holy God any more than you can hide uncooked dough in a pancake. Batter would be the right word nor can we truly hide it from our neighbor for very long. Will it last? Will it be good to serve? No. Because we are those who have sat with God's grace, 
And, and whether you have an abundant joy and hunger to grow closer to God, or whether maybe right now that's a little bit of a complicated relationship that you're trying to figure out, at all costs, may our hunger be for this vision at the beginning of chapter 5 of walking in a way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The reason we don't want to give up things too easily is because they bring comfort to us. Our addictions can bring comfort to us that we feel compelled to hold on to because we're not sure if we can give them up, if we will find comfort outside of them. And so what it is to open our hands and to let the pancake of our soul be flipped so as to be cooked in God's grace on both sides. For once we were darkness, says verse 8, just as the people of Israel once were slaves in Egypt before God rescued them and set them free. Once we were darkness without Christ, uncooked, batter waiting in a bowl to be exposed to God's grace. But now we are light in the Lord. And so we are called to live as children of light and to not waste our time on that which is not fruitful and good and, up, and upstanding, bringing the best to our neighbor. How do we act and speak? Does it serve the cause of our neighbor? Does it bless them? Or is it for us? Put differently, are our words and actions defined by self-indulgence or self-sacrifice? Self-indulgence, to please myself, to feed my hunger, or self-sacrifice, what would I not give for my neighbor? What would I not give if the Lord but asked it of me? Or do we want to hold on to just one, one raw spot of our lives? We were once darkness have nothing to do with these fruitless deeds anymore, but rather expose them. And what happens? Exposure, we might be afraid of shame, but everything, verse 13, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Habitual disobedience, hidden sin that we can nurture, we can put on a good front, a well-cooked pancake on one side and trying to be nurture some hidden habits on the other. We can try to put up that good front, but ultimately, even those hidden parts need to be exposed to light, as raw batter is exposed to heat and is so pleasantly cooked. We also need to be exposed to the light, because sin thrives on darkness and hiddenness, and simply cannot stand when light is shed upon it. How do we use our words? How do we use our bodies? How do we use our hands? How do we use our minds? Is it in the way of love, of self-sacrifice? Is it self-indulgent or self-sacrificial? And are we trying to make sure that every area of our life is exposed to God's grace? Our decisions, our actions, our thoughts, desires, and hunger and appetites be exposed to God's grace that we too might be a perfect pancake as opposed to burnt or doughy. This takes awakening. And just as we go to sleep and wake up on, well, hopefully a regular cycle, we've got third shift people here too, but that all of us have moments and hours of sleeping and of waking. And it is a cycle over and over and over again 
This is why drawn um, a little bit from Isaiah chapter 60, though it'll sound different if you go back and read it. This is why the text closes with, this is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Christ will shine on you, meaning the light will break in even to the dark places of our souls. Christ's light will flood into even those parts that we try to keep secret and hidden. And when Christ's light floods in, it does not bring about shame, but it brings about freedom because it does not bring condemnation, but rather fills us with God's grace when we can but open up even those hidden parts of ourselves to receive the goodness of God's grace. Wake up, O sleeper. Make this a daily habit and ritual. This is not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Wake up, O sleeper, every single time. Rise from the dead. Just as when we awake, we remember when Christ said, Oh, she is not dead, but only sleeping. And he raised her from the dead as if she was just waking up from a nap. Our habit as Christians, as hard as this might be, when life gets busy and when we're stressed and our schedules are full, to remember that we wake up as those who were asleep daily, that we rise from our beds, that we remember that Christ rose from the dead so that Christ will shine on us, that his perfect light will break into our lives and break down the darkness and dismantle it and diminish it because a shadow cannot exist in full light. Wake up and receive God's grace new every morning. And where my mind might often go to, great is thy faithfulness, for his mercies are new every morning. Today, we're going to close um, with a different song um, written specifically about this verse. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Uh, this song um, was written by a dear friend of mine, Stephen Rodriguez. Um, Stephen is a pastor out in New York. Um, we were good friends in seminary. It seems like every Stephen I know has some talent that I, as Stephen, do not have. Um, and, and worship planning, Pastor Audrey remembered um, that Rodriguez had written this song. And so we use it with, uh, with his permission and blessing this morning. Um, but the song is Wake Up, O Sleeper rise from the dead, that Christ will shine on you. Since this is a new song, and it was written by a, I would say, very musically creative person, um, we invite you to receive this song as our closing prayer. And so if you, it's going to be new. Um, it's not one that you have to sing along with. If you pick up the chorus and want to join in, feel free to do so, and our voices may slowly rise. But rather, we invite you um, at the get-go just to receive these words, receive this music as our prayer. Um, may it be something that can wash over your soul. And maybe you want to close your eyes and take it in. Um, we encourage you also um, to just read the lyrics um, and let this song be our prayer that Christ may awaken us up to his perfect light.
as we come to God in this time of prayer, having remembered that we are awoken, that we are risen, I have a few uh, care updates for us. Um, the first is on behalf of the Vandermolens, Dave and Lori. A few months ago, we did a prayer quilt um, for their friend's daughter, Ashley. Um, her husband had died while they were expecting their first child. 
Um, and Ashley has given birth to a son. Uh, his name is Kyler, and thanks be to God, he is doing really well. Um, so just want to pray for Kyler, for Ashley, and family, and that God would be near to them in this time of great rejoicing and also deep grief. Um, we also have an update on Steve Essenberg. Um, Steve Essenberg last week was at the clinic, um, and he received some news on a potential different direction that he can go in for treatment, and this past week, he received some relief for the first time in a long time. So we want to pray today that that relief would not only be sustained, but magnified um, through this treatment. And Steve especially wants to thank everyone for the prayers, uh, because we believe that it's through prayer um, that God is working. So we're grateful for this news for Steve, and want to continue to pray that he would um, be sustained. Um, and finally, um, we learned as well that Amanda Westhouse, who was diagnosed again with cancer, um, did receive some good news on some recent scans, a better report. Um, so we just want to continue to lift her up, Amanda and the Westhouse family, um, as her journey with cancer continues. Uh, friends, with that being said, let's turn to our God in prayer. Almighty God, source of all mercy, we, your servants, give you thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all you have made. We bless you for our creation and preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for this hope of glory. Give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. God, we pray for the peace of the world. Move among us by your spirit. Break down barriers of fear, suspicion, and hatred. Heal the human family of its divisions and unite it in the bounds of justice and peace. We pray for our country, enrich our common life, strengthen the forces of truth,